us home of his spies for the recipe. This is a drawn Welcome, happy Monday, and what another terrific day it is. I uh, don't know if you got the kids out to the Santa Claus Parade on the weekend, Saskatoon's 32nd annual, Regina's 37th. It was a wonderful day yesterday to have the kids out and the big visit from Santa. Uh, then, the 110th Grey Cup. Now, I admit to a degree of parochialism and pettiness that if the riders aren't in the Grey Cup, I am at best a very casual observer if I watch at all. You know, unlike the NFL, where I can cheer if my team isn't in for maybe five or six other teams, I hate them all in the CFL. (laughs) I'm rider, fan, and that's it. But yesterday, every single minute of that game between the Montreal Alouettes and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the odds-on favorite, it was a fabulous game. One of the better ones I've watched uh, ever. So Cody Fajardo, most valuable player, uh, on his own back, he leads the team to a seven-play, 83-yard drive, less than two minutes left, a pinpoint perfect touchdown pass, fittingly to Canadian Tyson Philpot, just seconds before uh, the game is over, 28-24 Alouettes. What an absolutely wonderful achievement for Mr. Fajardo, for the Alouettes, and for Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans. The recriminations are everywhere because, of course, Fajardo was released from the Riders. And we're going to be talking a lot about that in the hour of the big stories this morning, and I suspect throughout the day. Many stories on the go today, and I'm so glad that you're here for them. Uh, 10 o'clock, a former provincial government employee in Saskatchewan, a CPA Joe Carson, has written a book called Diagnosis Red Tape, A Fading Trust in the Administration of Government. He's a regulatory reform expert, and he says, government and regulation are going to be very hard anywhere in the world to decouple. He's going to join us in the studio here at 10 o'clock. I think you're going to find it fascinating. And this morning, uh, let's just look at the opening of Agribition in Regina. 11 o'clock this morning, WestJet to make, quote, a new flight launch announcement in Regina for the Regina Airport. Uh, the general speculation, we certainly hope, is that like Saskatoon, which has three flights every week to Minneapolis-St. Paul, Regina will join that. Now, this is just me speculating rampantly. I could well be wrong, but we'll await WestJet's announcement 11 o'clock this morning. Well, let's begin the show today with the uh, bombshell announcement. Friday afternoon, a very terse statement Premier Mo removes from the government caucus, strips all responsibility from Cutknife Turtleford Sask Party MLA Ryan Dometer, charged under Section 286 of the Criminal Code. Of course, the government didn't list what 286 was, but I think you have a pretty good sense when the Premier's statement was, those in public office should be working to support vulnerable women, not to exploit them. Quote, there's absolutely no place in our government, nor frankly in the Legislative Assembly, for someone who has been charged with such a crime. The crime is, when you check the Criminal Code of Canada, to obtain for consideration in any place, or to communicate with anyone for the purposes of obtaining for consideration the sexual services of a person. So it is 
communication for the purposes of prostitution. Ryan Dometer facing those charges. He will make a first court appearance in January. Brian Pfefferly, well-known criminal trial lawyer, Pfefferly Law Office is his firm based in Saskatoon, has defended people in the past on this charge. And I didn't even know, just given the Supreme Court uh, case on uh, prostitution, again, will always be, or at least in the foreseeable future, illegal to communicate for the purposes, but for the actual people providing the services, uh, no longer a criminal offense. Mr. Pfefferly joins us now. Brian, thanks so much for taking our call. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Um, do we have a sense of, of, again, I know we don't know any details from the Regina Police Service on, on the charging of Dometer, but based on your experience with these cases, do we have a sense of what might have happened here? Yeah, I would, I would, I would, uh, I wouldn't say speculate. I, I would say based on my experience, there's only two real ways that uh, individuals are charged with this offense. Typically, there is a sting that would occur on the street in what are commonly referred to as the stroll areas. So there are uh, areas in both uh, major cities that the police are known um, that uh, street workers or uh, sexual services providers will commonly hang out. This is in Saskatoon in the Avenue B to Avenue W area around 17th and 22nd Regina there's similar areas where they'll have an undercover police officer posing as a sex trade worker who will then um, negotiate a transaction and that's the critical feature is make sure that the deal is made on the street and then uh, shortly thereafter um, uh, the officer uh, would alert other members they pull over the vehicle and then arrest them I'm I'm suggesting that that's probably not what happened here given that he was arrested at a uh, hotel according to the news release, that the likely um, sting involved one of these advertisement situations. So there's a bunch of websites that people advertise sexual services. Many of these people are legitimate sexual service providers, but the police also do stings where they'll set up a sting, suggest that they're in in, t- in town for a brief period of time, call this number, make an arrangement. The sexual service is negotiated, and then the person ends up attending to a location, typically where the police have a decent presence of undercover officers, and then they'll execute an arrest once the person shows up to the to the hotel. It, just because he was arrested at a hotel, I'm suspecting that that's the mechanism that was used in this case. And we see a couple of these things in major centers uh, a year, usually three or four, where they'll end up charging anywhere from 10 to 35 people. Um, the most I've seen charged in a single bus was over 40. Um, and, and then typically uh, these individuals will contact counsel, which is where we step in. Police uh, on this case saying they arrested 16 in, in this particular sweep. So the charge is laid under 286. What typically happens uh, when somebody's charged and how are these cases usually disposed of? Yeah, so so commodification of sexual services is a really hot topic, and I, I'll, I guess I'll state my position on it, that the continued criminalization of these offenses uh, affects the most vulnerable people, and uh, I don't agree with the laws under uh, under Section 286. I frankly think that Parliament, if they cared, would, uh, would overhaul them in their entirety. Um, but uh, that's a story for another day. What they've done is essentially um, decriminalize the sex service worker where they used to charge them, and they continue to, to go after the uh, people that are seeking to obtain the services. Um, but because 
from a policy perspective, many governments and many uh, prosecutions offices are realizing that this isn't a, a good use of resources. Most uh, times, and I would say for first offenders, it would be virtually a a hundred times uh, out of a hundred, they would refer it to uh, a diversion program, which is commonly referred to as John School. Of course, the nickname given for people that are involved in um, the, the, the trade of uh, sex services, they'll often call the person who's uh, trying to get the services of the John. So it's named after that sort of a, a term. John School is around North America. There are different programs that uh, essentially are education programs talking about the significance of this uh, industry. Uh, oftentimes how uh, there are um, STIs and other sort of significant uh, risks associated with uh, engaging in the services, sometimes involved in the drug trade, talking about the dangers both to the uh, workers as well as the consumers. And then also the education component will talk about um, oftentimes referencing the the issue of exploiting people through human trafficking. So the education program, once completed, the charge is actually uh, dropped against the um, uh, the person, and so for the most part, even if someone tells me that they're innocent of this offense, and I've had clients tell me that, hey, I pulled over and this woman seemed like she was scared, and we didn't really um, negotiate anything. She was asking me if I wanted to have sex, and I said, I uh, get in my car, I'll drive you, and we didn't actually negotiate anything. I want to fight it. Well, do you really want to be the poster child for this offense, potentially be in the news? Do you really want to spend ten or $15,000 defending it, or do you want to go to the John School program? And so for the most, uh, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, we don't see these things be run in, in criminal courts. We only see them uh, dealt with through references. I would suspect that this matter would be referred to diversion, and then if successfully completed, if he takes the, the John School program, I would assume that the charge against him would be uh, dismissed and uh, or, or withdrawn. Um, that, that's uh, typically how it would be dealt with. And it usually takes about three or four months to finish the program uh, because of wait lists and other things. When there's 16 people busted, they'll usually have uh, one full class of people immediately with that. And uh, that could take two months or, or more before it's uh, it's completed. But I would suspect there'll be no criminal record flow. And frankly, um, for what it's worth, I don't think anybody uh, should be getting criminal records for this type of offense because what it does is it drives the industry underground. It puts the people that are most vulnerable, that being the sex trade workers, further underground. And uh, it, it enhances, um, uh, I think, a perception that the state is constantly watching you if you're in the sex trade and these people are, are vulnerable enough. And so uh, for my my two senses, I think it's dealt with appropriately by referring it to this education program. Brian Pfefferly, criminal trial lawyer, Saskatoon, joining us. You and I will disagree on some, but we probably agree on some of the effects on the women, but um, gosh, I, I tend to take a harder line on this. But then again, I'm not defending people as you are uh, every single day. So so just to be clear, the agreement to go to John's school as a diversion, uh, the charge is removed. It's not uh, some kind of conditional or suspended sentence. It actually doesn't show up as uh, as even a conviction? Exactly, yes. It's so there under the criminal code, there are extrajudicial measures, which uh, we often refer to as alternative measures. It's an actual um, provision in the, in the criminal code that actually allows people to have their matters, if the prosecutor agrees, refer them outside of the justice system. And so the attorney general in any province can designate certain offenses as being appropriate to refer uh, to, to diversion. And once diversion is, is completed, 
Um, there is no record of that. Um, locally, there will be a notation that they were charged, just like any individual. And a person's charge still gets fingerprinted under the um, under the uh, identification of criminals legislation. So they still get fingerprinted. But in terms of a criminal record, no. Um, the charge, if completed properly, once diversion takes place, is not a record. It doesn't require a plea of guilty. So um, a person taking uh, extrajudicial measures just needs to take responsibility, air quotes, for the offense. Um, That doesn't mean that they're admitting guilt uh, in a criminal standard, but it just means that they're taking responsibility. So some people might get a bit unnerved by that. Uh, As I say, uh, uh, I'll be called a left-wing wacko on uh, on the social media for saying this, John. (laughs) Okay, it wouldn't be my first time. Um, uh, I think they should decriminalize it uh, uh, entirely. Um, And the education program is great. I do understand that you know, people need to get referred in some way if that happens. But this is a really, really tough situation. I appreciate a lot of people, like the the type of people that are busted in these things are primarily males. I really have had almost exclusively males as clients, most of whom uh, will have, um, you know, whether they're high-paying jobs or whether they're um, professionals and these sorts of things. The consumers of this industry uh, are all types from all walks of life, and I think that this is something that maybe we don't like to admit uh, in society, but it's a reality that this industry exists. Always good having you by, my friend. Thanks for the explainer today, and uh, keep up the great work. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, John, and uh, and best wishes on the change in career. I know uh, in the at the bar, we're real happy to have you joining back to uh, private practice, but sad for your listeners. But uh, our gain, uh, their loss. Oh, thanks, Matt. Brian Pfefferly, criminal trial lawyer, Saskatoon. Yeah, I uh, meant to say at the outset, uh, the countdown now, five shows left. Our final show here is Friday. And then I step aside, and a week from now, Evan Bray. Uh, it will be called The Evan Bray Show, and I am very excited for him and for you. Hang on. The hour of the big stories where I suspect, even based on what Mr. Pfefferly was saying, you and I might have a conversation. Should sex work be decriminalized altogether? I don't say so fast. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.